Hello and a very warm welcome back to The Gold Podcast. I'm your host, Isabel O'Brien, the Assistant Editor of Gold, and with me today, once again, is Jade Williams, Gold's Editorial Executive. How are you doing today, Jade? I'm doing good, thanks. And I'm very much looking forward to listening to today's interview on one of my favourite topics as of late, which is the potential use of AI within pharma. Yes, and particularly chat GPT for anyone that's particularly interested in that topic. I had a great discussion, which we're going to present today with Matt Lewis, who is the co-founder of Anisio Medical Analytics and Innovation. And we spoke about his motivations for joining the industry, his passion for modernizing medical affairs, and also ChatGBT to quite a large extent. OpenAI really did rock the world when it released ChatGPT last November. And I don't think the buzz around this software is going anywhere for the moment. Mm, Definitely. And its latest iteration has just been released in the form of GPT-4, which can now accept images, analyze and respond to them. Yes, it is quite a step forward, but much more on ChatGPT and everything to do with that in a moment. First, I would like to give you a bit of background to our guest today. So today we are interviewing Matt Lewis. Based in New York, he leads a team that are working towards transforming innovation within life sciences, specifically medical affairs. And he has worked across a whole host of therapy areas in his wider career, having experience at Procter & Gamble, Boehringer Ingelheim, and a myriad of communication roles as well. That's right. Matt also holds an impressive four degrees across health and management from the universities of New York, Cornell, Columbia and Harvard. And when not at work, can be found volunteering in his community and enjoying the outdoors. So without further ado, let's have a listen. So Matt... Welcome to the podcast. It is lovely to have you on the show, especially because you are a long-time reader of our magazine, Gold. I hope you're doing well today. Um, We're very excited to have you on as we're going to be discussing a subject that has really captured the attention of everyone of late, and that is ChatGPT and the future of AI in healthcare. Now, I know you've got a number of thoughts about this, and I'm very much looking forward to getting into them. But before we do get stuck in, I'd love to hear a bit about you. So I know you have a background in molecular biology and population health, which you studied at Cornell and NYU, respectively. But what led you to choose a career within the pharmaceutical industry? Uh, Sure. Well, first, Isabel, thank you so much for having me on. I'm really honored and delighted to be here today. Um, and yes, I have been a longtime reader of Gold and, uh, and listened to the podcast as well. And so, so I'm happy to be here. Um, yeah, I, it's a, it, not the type of thing that I think people kind of grow up thinking, hey, I'm going to end up in, in medcoms or medaffairs. Although, you know, I, kinda, I have two daughters and I kind of keep subtly encouraging them to, to go into that, that route intentionally when, when they make it to uni at some point in the future, but not quite yet. But, uh, you know, I, I, when I went to school, I was uh, studying microbiology and uh, I, I wanted to study how kind of disease was originated and how you could try to address it in large populations. And I just saw the best way to do that was to go into industry and really be able to affect as many people as possible and try to improve outcomes. And um, I've been able to see that from both the kind of commercial and medical side over really the last 25 years. And and it's it's, it's been quite effective. So that's how I got here. And how close are your daughters to joining the industry at this point? (laughs) 
yeah, they're, I, they're, they're not really on this, on, on that path. Um, but, uh, you never know, like I said, you kind of, things happen, you know, they're in their own way. My, my oldest daughter is uh, 13 and she's kind of more on a kind of coding, uh, trying to save the world through coding type of, of path at this point, which is, which, which, and I don't exactly know what that means at this point, but I think, you know, given what our topic is today, it could be anything really, knowing that, you know, generative AI didn't exist a, a few years ago and uh, who knows what the world will, will look like in a few years when, when she's in college. My, my little one, whose name is also Isabel, um, is, uh, is, is, is still has a horizon set on many possible horizons. So uh, I think anything that, that either of them wants to do is, is fine with me as long as they're happy. Well, there's still plenty of time for them to change their minds as well. So Matt, your company, Anisio, that you currently work for, has a core focus of modernising medical affairs. To start off with, why is this something that you're so passionate about? Yeah, I mean, it's, it's, uh, it's something I think that, that has been kind of a long time considered um, and, and something that the time is, is quite right for now. I think even before the pandemic, um, you know, there was a, a consideration that uh, the way of working and the way of kind of getting information out to clinicians and payers and regulators and stakeholders and you know, patients at large and it really hadn't changed all that much, you know, since the late 90s. You know, the, the, the way that we understand science, the way we help uh, our different stakeholders to kind of make sense of it uh, really hasn't progressed like all that much from a, you know, kind of a framework perspective over that entire period. Things had started kind of evolving a bit with regards to digital and uh, kind of how we how we make sense of information, but really accelerated and catalyzed a lot by the pandemic. People realized that we could work a different way and kind of interact with with consumers and with clinicians a different way. But you know, it's really being propelled forward by by the way that, that we can kind of see things today. So I think now we're kind of in this environment where we recognize that really to, to really leverage. Our, our best selves, really be our, our best version of ourselves. We need to be a little bit more kind of agile and, and dexterous when it comes to digital um, and, and to, to modernize medical in, in that, that, that way um, to really kind of make sense of things like artificial intelligence and omni-channel and the metaverse, whatever that is, um, and, and other considerations so that, that we can really um, you know, be the, the most effective you know, for, for everyone with whom we interact. And I, I think it is really incumbent upon medical as, as medical has grown up over the last, you know, 20 years that I've been in it, and, and not as a kind of support, but really as a strategic lead, essentially, um, to, to be able to, to really leverage those considerations in a way that, that powers outcomes. Because I think we're going to see in our next couple of years, a medical organization that that leads launches, that, you know, that, that is able to put someone into the C-suite from medical, like someone that's CEO of a, of a company from a medical organization. And to be able to do that, you really need to think about kind of what's best for the organization as opposed to just what, what's best for the function. And to do that, it really starts with and ends with, with, with medical, with digital. Yeah, I absolutely agree with what you've said there. I think all arrows are pointing in the direction of medical affairs continuing to grow. And I think AI is going to play a huge role in that, potentially even chat GPT or models like it. I think one huge perk to this technology is that it can perform the legwork for intricate tasks that can be time consuming, take up brain power that could be better spent elsewhere. So let's start with the positives. How do you think a technology like ChatGPT could save time and resources for medical affairs specifically? Yeah, I, I think it, it is like one of those, you know, big open questions that remains to be fully answered. I think there there are, you know, kind of huge possibilities that, you know, a lot of teams, including ours, are investing a lot of time and resources into fully understanding where a lot of the things we've wished for and hoped for over the last couple of years are 
likely or possibly going to come true in the next couple of months or years. Like, for example, we could potentially see a, a scenario over the next couple of months where generative AI can play an initial role in starting to build towards the production of content. Like, so you could start seeing generative AI maybe play a role in uh, building out draft slide decks and then potentially having medical writers or teams pull those decks through to completion, which means that there's so much content sitting within biopharma, within biotech, within medical devices, within digital therapeutics, that's just sitting internally within those organizations that can't get out to clinicians, to patients, to stakeholders. If you could just smooth out the digital content supply chain and speed time to production by even by half, it would mean many decisions that people could make improving lives that would be tremendously helpful for all involved. So that would be wonderful if we could do that. We're involved in a few pilots right now where we're looking to harness generative AI into those types of situations where we could potentially produce a a draft, maybe of a paper or a patient lay summary or a systematic literature review or a number of other similar kind of deliverables where the the general consideration is still the same. The generative AI model up front does the kind of initial lift and then our strategic and scientific team completes that exercise as things progress forward and still delivers it through to the team and to clients. So I think there's a lot of consideration there. But I, I think one of the things I haven't heard other folks kind of talk about a lot with generative AI is, you know, I think equally kind of uh, compelling are a lot of the kind of mundane kind of annoying things that uh, that regular kind of folk, you know, kind of don't talk about a lot, but are, are just as important for saving time and, and being effective in role. Like, you know, just think about like the average kind of person that they have to you know, talk to their manager about something that, that kind of vexes them a bit. Like maybe they want to ask their, their boss about, you know, a day off next week that they forgot to ask about, or they, they want to ask about a pay raise, or they want to ask about, you know, having less stress in their job, but some, somehow become a version of itself that they didn't really, you know, favor. Most humans don't really enjoy having those types of conversations with other humans. And most people don't have an easy way to kind of figure out how to ask those conversations of people in their work environment. Maybe they have a friend or someone that's in a similar role they can kind of bounce an idea off of, but it's not an efficient conversation. Like you might have to ask someone you know, off the cuff or ask someone down the hall if they're actually in an office. Not everyone outside the UK or EU is in an office and people in the US are in, in a, a place where they're still working from home. So you know, if, you're, you're, if you wanna have a conversation quickly, it might not happen so easily. But now you can just kind of ask ChatGPT, hey, ChatGPT, write me a letter or an email to ask my boss for time off next Thursday. In two seconds, you'll get a response. And that version may not be the thing you actually send forward on email, but it could be a thought starter, a catalyst, a consideration, a bridge that then gets you to your final draft in a minute versus the 30 minutes you would have spent agonizing over whether you should even send the thing. And that time saved can be used for other useful ventures like ideating on the next project that you need to actually contribute to a client or considering what else may be valuable for the team for your next offsite or getting getting out early and going to the pub. But there are so many small decisions like that that can be considered at least as a, a, as a starter for 10 potentially um, used in, in ChatGPT that people don't talk about, don't think about that is possible, and, and I've done a lot of these with ChatGPT, and you get some really cool things coming out that are, are, are useful you know, considerations as a, as a way to start. Very interesting, and do you have an example? What's the best thing that it's delivered for you? 
Um, similar to, to what I just described, I, I did ask uh, ChatGPT um, to, to write an email asking my boss uh, for some additional resources for, for my team um, related to kit that, that was required. And, uh, you know, it's just related to, you know, technology needs and the rest. And, you know, it's like just to see what it would come back with. And, you know, and it understood kit versus, you know, tech versus, you know, U.S. versus U.K. Um, and it came back with a, a draft letter. And it wasn't exactly the way that I would say it, you know, to, to my, my manager who's based in London. Um, but, uh, you know, it, it, it was like 90% of the way there. And just the revision to the point of what I would need to be final uh, was quite helpful. Then I asked it to you know, come back with the same response in the form of a rap. Um, and it, it did so in rhyming verse, the same exact letter. Um, and in the, the rhyming verse letter took a couple seconds to generate the response, but the, the rhyming verse letter came back in maybe about four seconds later. And I, I definitely could not share the rap version with my leadership. Um, but it, it just to kind of think about the rap version was really amusing and interesting because you don't really kind of think about that in, uh, in the workplace all that often. But just it kind of like lightened my, my head space a bit, like the, the mood around like what I was trying to ask for. And I, and I almost kind of wish I could have wrapped it to my boss about like what I was actually asking for, but I did not do that. But it, it's just really interesting. I've seen people that within the, the community that have asked for responses back in like the style of famous dead poets, like an Edgar Allan Poe or, or things like that. And it, it will do that in using those kind of stylistic considerations. So, I mean, Right now, the, the the corpus that it's trained on is a you know kind of general community corpus, but you could imagine in a scientific corpus, like in the, the model that exists within one of Google's generative AI sets or in other um, large language models that exist, that you could have it come back in the style of a of a clinician that just has recognized that a patient has been diagnosed with terminal cancer or someone that you know, is looking at someone that's going to be in for a difficult surgery or what might, might be the case. So you could imagine, again, a, a kind of a, a, a catalyst or a consideration that is something to, to start with. And then adding that human touch to follow, you know, could really save a lot of time and consideration of, of what might need, need to proceed. Yeah, it's quite mind blowing, really, when you think about the endless possibilities that something like this have, and you covered a number of those just then. But of course, there are also drawbacks, um, particularly for the life sciences sector, because of how ChatGPT uses a finite set of libraries to pull all its information. And people have been concerned about the impact on patients. If a patient goes to use this tool to find out information about a therapy, how can we guarantee that that information is going to be correct? So what's your thought on the drawbacks? Do you think patient safety is a key thing to consider? Are there other things we should be contemplating? What are your thoughts? Yeah, I mean, I think there's there are a couple of things going on with that question that make it a difficult one to kind of directly answer. But I'll try to I'll try to do my best. I mean, I think generally speaking, I think you know the the rate at which medical knowledge is growing is creating this kind of challenge between you know the medical community and patients, such to a degree independent of AI, that it's getting harder and harder for you know clinicians and patients to have like a really kind of equal kind of conversation regardless because when I was younger like the the, the rate at which medical knowledge was doubling was not not that fast like it was it maybe doubled like maybe every five to ten years in 2020 medical knowledge doubled every 73 days now it's closer to about every 45 days so it, it's not untrue that by the end of the calendar year the actual full corpus of medical knowledge is doubling by every five or six times the whole year so there's more information on the web overall in one year between 22 and 2023 than most physicians learn in all of medical school. 
So there, there actually is more information out there to be consumed, ingested, and reported back by generative AI than what any doctor will know just from coming out of medical school, residency, or fellowship. So it, to, to really work or operate in a clinical environment without AI going into the next couple of years will be very challenging. I think it, it's almost impossible for a clinician to operate or to practice to, to practice medicine without leveraging AI. It's, I've heard it said that you know the physicians or clinicians that use AI will displace those that don't use AI. That you know, to be effective as a clinician, you'll have to use AI because you just can't keep all that medical knowledge that's out there in your head. It's impossible. No human can do it. But the, the challenges today is that you'll see patients potentially. To your point maybe going online using ChatGPT, asking a question, then coming in like they did with Google over the last 10, 15 years instead of Dr. Google, it's Dr. ChatGPT, asking a question, getting a response, and then the responses they get back are this voluminous response that the clinician may never even have seen the references for, let alone the actual answer. And it's actually, the answers might be true, but the clinician hasn't even seen those articles because they were published post-medical school and they haven't seen the original content. So it's this like huge information asymmetry out in the world beyond what's actually known to the clinician, it actually might be true, but it's hard to kind of parse that in, in the actual setting of a, a medical visit. So I think that's that's a little bit challenging. I did go into ChatGPT and ask a number of medical questions as if I were a patient about different types of illnesses, whether it was heart failure, or, um, different psychiatric illnesses, gastrointestinal disease. And from what I saw, at least this is not a, a representative sample, ChatGPT does provide some boundaries and if it won't go down the path of recommending things that shouldn't be done. Like I tried to ask whether you could use, you know, inappropriate techniques for, for things that are not recommended or, or certainly not appropriate, like using shock or using dangerous techniques for things that, you know, would not be appropriate and said, those are definitely not recommended and you should, you know, you know consult a, a safety or, you know, police professional before employing anything like that or things like that. So I thought that was appropriate and helpful. Um, or, or, or I'd ask about heart, heart failure or diabetes or um, Crohn's disease and it would recommend the preferred best-in-class standard guidelines for those those areas. You can ask ChatGPT for references or provide the resources that support your areas. The actual, when people use the tool, they may not know to do that, but I imagine as it progresses a bit further into the, the, the newer versions or in, in some proprietary versions that people will offer, that will just come standard. So people will know in like a patient-facing version that if they ask for you know information that will prepare them for a doctor's visit, they'll know to ask for the references and then they can share the references through to the doctors uh, in that conversation. I did one, uh, my 13-year-old my after we had our conversation last night was making some some type of recipe she found on TikTok for you know, some almond flour chocolate chip balls or something late last night. And I looked up on ChatGPT whether almond flour can cause salmonella because there's that, that combination sometimes is a, is a bit risky. And ChatGPT did reference the fact that salmonella is sometimes linked. And, and I asked it for resources and, and references, and it did link out three references in the in the output. But when I when I clicked on them, they were all broken links. None of the references that it, it linked through to were, were actually valid. I did end up later finding them separately by going to Google and finding the actual references, the, the correct way, the, the you know, forward facing way. But it, it either what it found was no longer active, or what it was referencing was pulling from a dead page essentially. But like that, there's like a little bit of work I think to be done to clean up some of that you know annotation essentially. I, I've shared separately in the medical space that if researchers are using ChatGPT to try to find papers for 
you know, a gap analysis or literature review or something in our space, there's a tool that, that's called Cite that we work with uh, where you, it does the same type of thing uh, but looks at citation references. So you can plug in a source and then it'll indicate whether or not that article has been cited by another paper and then whether or not that citation is either positive or negative. So that's kind of like the same type of thing for the medical community so that if you are looking for something of, that's of interest in, in your work stream, you can see whether or not that there's actually evidence there to support that article that's coming out of ChatGPT because that is a, a major concern I think a lot of people have is that the content you're getting is not evidence-based, it's not referenced, it's not supported, if you will. If you can provide that check, then hopefully you're on the right path. Well, yeah, I think ChatGPT has been met with an awful lot of fear. And while it is good to recognize that there are drawbacks like you did, I think it's also important to acknowledge there are ways to counteract those and that those may already be in place and hopefully will be developing further. So I don't think it's worth necessarily dismissing this technology from the get-go. Having said all of this and coming on to my next question, there's always fear around the adoption of AI into a business. And from our conversation so far, Matt, I would assume you are a fan to some degree of AI but something organizations face is employees being scared of its implementation. So what would you say to companies dealing with that or people that have those fears? Well, I, 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 don't, I don't want to go on record as being a fan of AI and then like some distant point in the future come back and be like the, the Miles Bennett in like Terminator where like, you know, Sarah Connor comes back and like tells him that he's like the cause of the, the demise of civilization. Um, but, uh, you know, so at the risk of that not being the case, I think I, I still have a fan of progress and a, a fan of, you know, anything that improves the, the plight of, of, of the human population. And I think AI represents a, a, a possibility that will hopefully uh, you know, provide some improved outcomes for, for us and, and our fellow humans, if you will. Um, I, I think, you know, it, it, I, I've heard people say that, you know, I was at a conference last week talking about artificial intelligence and digital innovation, and someone asked whether this is like a risk from a job perspective, whether it's going to put people out of jobs in pharma. And I, I, I don't I, I don't see that quite yet. I mean, at least not not where we are, um, primarily because I, I think, you know, there, there are probably just as many jobs to be created from the introduction of generative AI as there are to be replaced by it. Um, because we're, we're talking about, you know, the ability to, to speed time to decision and to you know, create content where there's a, quite a, lot, a large backlog. I mean, I think the things we're talking about before on patient lay summaries or systematic literature reviews or slide decks and content are largely in areas where there's a lot of stuff that folks can't get out fast enough, if you will. Um, and as a result, this will hopefully speed, you know, a lot of that out into the world and hopefully be able to support those decisions. But you have to you have to think about, you know, five, 10, 15 years from now, what will that ultimately mean? I think hopefully there'll be people doing all sorts of you know, jobs supported by AI that, you know, will don't exist now. But, you know, they, they, I, I think we can't even really fathom like what their job titles and roles and all the rest will be. But hopefully it'll be like the way digital has been over the last 10 years or, the, or that electricity has been over the last 100 years. We wouldn't really think of like, you know, someone working off a job that is, you know, leveraging electricity as being, you know, created by electricity. Yeah, electricity is essential to society, but, you know, it's, it's not something we kind of think about as a, you know, kind of a, a new technology. It's just kind of how we do business. Well, yeah, I guess progress sometimes comes with a sense of discomfort. That's just the way it is. And lastly, moving on to my final question. So we've spoken about the potential applications for ChatGPT, and it clearly does hold potential for the pharmaceutical industry. But looking forward and more broadly, if you can, is there anywhere in the industry where you think AI could make a real difference, where it isn't typically being used so much now? 
Yeah, I'm, I think, you know, the, the biggest kind of area where I think it's likely to make an impact that it hasn't, you know, yet really made much impact, you know, today is probably in medical, because I think the, the, the places where it's been already impacting over the last couple of years has primarily been in research and development, where, you know, a lot of the new discovery of medicine has been AI powered. And, you know, I, there is like, there's a, a kind of an expectation or like a, a supposition in like the venture capital community that the majority of new drugs are going to be developed by like this kind of consideration of tech bio, not biotech, but tech bio, AI powered, um, you know, medicine essentially over the next like five to seven years. So that the majority of new medicines will be discovered essentially by AI powered techniques. And that that'll essentially be a major shift in like the, in the consideration of where drugs come from. Um, that'll happen within within this decade and so that but that's already in progress and it's been happening for years where we you know, start seeing like little small contributions from ai powered shops but by by 2030 the majority of new medicines will come from an ai powered consideration which is you know, remarkable but you, you already have started to have seen that in in commercial and in marketing you know there's also large efforts and contributions of ai and things like programmatic and you know, other other aspects of, of ai that have been kind of extant for for years i think you know that, that those are also somewhat incremental but really it hasn't been as visible i would say within uh, medical affairs i think we've always used ai within medical affairs over the last five six seven years in things like natural language processing and you know other aspects of, of different parts of the world like in scientific platform development and gap analysis and the rest but for the most part teams haven't really asked for an understanding or kind of an expectation that ai is part of what they do it's just you know, one of many methodologies used to help better understand their stakeholders and you know, bring science to the community. Now, I think generative AI is kind of helping to raise the suspicion a bit or raise the expectation that that AI is part of what they do and part of how they add value. So there's more kind of consideration, more kind of recognition that it matters and that it should be part of how they, how they do business. So I think you are starting to see now a, a more kind of consideration of, of where it fits and how it could help power much of the business. And as a result, like a, a real kind of explosion of interest in proofs of concepts and experiments and pilots and incubation and kind of consider where it might fit. Some of those won't work, of course, but, you know, they'll try to see what, what does work and where we can learn from the things that don't. But as new things do move forward, you'll see, I think, a, a rapid uptick in, and kind of incremental value across the, the, the chain, essentially, that hopefully will be able to demonstrate progress across medical. Brilliant. And I hope AI will help medical to achieve the vision that you were talking about at the beginning of the show as well. Matt, thank you so much for talking to me today. It has been fascinating to hear your thoughts on the use of chat GPT and AI in pharma. Thanks so much for coming on the show. Thank you so much for having me. Appreciate it. Really interesting conversation there. Do you have a key takeaway from your discussion with Matt, Isabel? I think there was a huge amount that Matt covered that I found really fascinating. Um, I liked his positivity about the platform particularly. I think there's been a real mixing pot of opinions about ChatGPT, but some of the examples he raised were really valuable and could make a huge impact in pharma. But obviously there are those downfalls to consider as well. So yeah, I just thought it was fascinating to hear a very balanced argument on the pros and cons of ChatGPT. Mm, I agree. 
But that does sadly bring us to the end of today's episode. Thank you again to Matt for talking to us and thank you to you for listening. If you are interested in more ChatGPT-related thought leadership, then do be on the lookout for the next edition of Gold, where we will be covering this subject in depth. That is going to be released on the 13th of April. That's right. Do be sure to subscribe so you don't miss out. But until next week, it's goodbye from us. See you next time. Bye.